So will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, I, I do want to say, if, if you don't know where Ecclesiastes is, look in the index of your Bible. We all had to do it at one time. The table of content will tell us. If you have a Bible like mine, it's page 556. But you might not have a Bible like mine, so you might have to find it yourself. And Dave, I bet. <laughs> I've opened up a can of worms, have I not? <laughs> J. Vernon McGee used to say when he asked people to turn to a scripture, he said, it's so good to hear the, the rustling of the pages because I know that they're responding to my request and it's good to hear the rustling of the pages. I had a friend, I don't remember where it was. He said, Winston, when you're speaking and you say turn to the Bible and I turn to my computer, I am still turning to the Bible, okay? So... Um, I will understand if that's your case as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, and I'm going to read the first nine verses from which the message comes this morning. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and please keep that phrase in mind, under the sun. This is where the, 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 the writer is looking at life from under the sun. He's in a closed system. And this is how he's responding to life. And it is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God has not empowered him to eat from them. For a foreigner foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a a severe affliction. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they may be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things and he does not even uh, have a proper burial, then I say better is the the miscarriage than he. For it comes in futility, that is the miscarriage, no life, and goes in obscurity, nobody knows. And its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun. It never knows anything. It is better off than he, than the man who has everything. Even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to the same place? All a man labors for is for his mouth. And yet the appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have knowing how to walk before the living? What the eye sees is better than what the soul desires. This too is futility and a striving after wind. Depressing, isn't it? When you think of what the the writer is, is saying... I was looking at someone who preached on this passage and the title that he gave to this passage was Life Sucks. (laughs) I chose the most sophisticated title, The Mockery of Materialism. Woody Allen was interviewed some time ago and he was asked a question. 
Do you believe in religion? Do you have an interest in religion? Woody Allen responded, I, I do have an interest in religion. Not the religion that we have today. Not Protestantism, Catholicism. I'm not interested in, in, in what we call religion today. I'm not interested in Judaism, Catholicism. He said, but there are questions. Questions that I have, they're called existential questions. And here, here is what they are. Mr. Allen said, why are we here? Is there more? Is there a greater power out there? But listen to how he responds to the questions that he has. But all these questions are unanswered. All these questions are unsolvable. All these questions are unsatisfying. They're ultimately depressing. What is the use of, of seeing, of observing, and yet come to the conclusion that I'm still poor in my soul? There's, there's no sense of meaning. There's no sense of belonging. There is, there, there is nothing outside of myself. What's the use? Well, I want to suggest to you that, that this is a problem that the writer in Ecclesiastes was struggling with. Many believe that the writer of Ecclesiastes was none other than Solomon, the son of David. Solomon who asked God for wisdom so that he might know how to, to do what was required of him. And, and somehow when Solomon got to a certain stage in his life, he, he started to see life in a negative way, whether he was doing this as a preacher or whether he was doing this as, as, as experiencing it in his own soul, we are not told, but we are told that he was looking at life from under the sun. That is, that there was nothing outside of what I could see. And he takes us through the first nine verses, as I have, as I have seen, and call it the mockery, the mockery of materialism. Let's see how he does this. I begin by sharing with you what I call the distribution of possession. Listen to how he says it. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. It is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth. Now, now you see what he says? That the source of what we have is a gift from God. God, has, God is a giving God. He gives in more ways than material things, but he is the one who gives us what we have. And most of the time we tend to think of this as being only money. But, but money is not all that God gives. God gives looks. He gives brains. He gives the ability to run fast. He gives everything that we can enjoy. The scripture says, God has given us richly to enjoy. So what, this, what the writer is saying, the writer is saying that I understand that these things that we have is from God. No one can claim that they are mine, that I have, in fact, the, the man that started that, uh, that stated that, 
Look at what my hands have built. Look at the empire that I have, uh, have, have established. The man who first said that turned out to live like an animal for seven years. Paul reminds us in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not first receive? Whatever it is. Um, my daughter and I were talking this past week. We, we were there for um, supper or something. And um, I, I mentioned the fact that, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a real controversy going on right now between the Kardashians and old Odom. Odom plays basketball, and he's married to one of the Kardashians. Is that their name? Kardashian girls. And I said, what's the deal? I understand. And my daughter, with a fervor of her mother, <laughs> said, I can't stand them. I said, why? But I don't know, because they haven't done anything not to stand them for. <laughs> but what I understand, these people have a TV show. And one of them was married for, what, six days or seven days, I think? And when, when you look, I understand they're, they're very lovely girls. But not only, not only them. You know, there's a, a, a young man who did a ghastly, ghastly deed in, in Toronto, in Montreal, a couple of weeks ago. And, and, and he, he's so, he, he's a handsome, very lovely boy, if I may use the term. But the deed that he has done is so ghastly. So where did he get his looks from? Where did, his, did he get his brains from? When, when they caught him in Germany, because he, he escaped Canada by way of France, ended up in Germany. When they caught him in Germany, you know what he was doing? He was sitting in front of a computer seeing what news are there about himself. And I don't even want to tell you what he did. You may have read it yourself. What I'm getting at, my friends, is that it's, there's something very uneasy about having a whole lot, knowing that God has given it but at the same time, our souls are empty. This is what he's saying. All over the world, it is prevalent among all men. God has given wealth and riches. And you would think that if I understand that God has given it, then that should be sufficient for me to be able to enjoy it. And he's saying, no. No. You do not have... I do not have, the earth is the Lord in the fullness thereof, the world and everything in it. God has given it to us. And I read from Abraham Lincoln two weeks ago that the prosperity of this country is not by accident. God gave it. But for some reason we have become so obsessed with what God has given that we have began to worship what God has given there comes the problem. So there's a source. But there's a stipulation. There's a stipulation to the possessions. Verse 2. But God has not empowered him to eat from it. Here, here, here my friends, is what this is saying. 
It is true that God has given us everything, riches and wealth and looks and, and beauty and whatever else we have. But listen, God did not give us those things with the capacity for those things to satisfy our souls. God has not put in his possession that which can actually take care of what really, really burdens us in life. Here's the tragedy. That's when it begins to happen. What God has given is not more important than the one to whom God has given us. The divine, that the, one that, the, the one that God has given to. The divine design is that things were not to take the place of people. Things were not to take the place of who I am and what I'm supposed to do. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is walking down one of the streets of Jerusalem. And someone ran to him and said, Master, tell my brother to give me a part of the portion that's coming to me. And Jesus said, be careful, be careful. You see, sometimes the rich, we look at them and we say what they have, what they can do. And the poor says, I wish I had what the rich has. You see, there are two kinds of greed. There's a greed for more, and there's a greed I wish I had. And so when Jesus said, be careful because a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things which he has. You know, when, when my son was doing his internship at uh, the University Presbyterian Church, where he was living in Seattle, not too far from there. You know who lived, who was in the neighborhood he lived in? Bill Gates. I mean, it was just something. I, I, was, I was, when I went to visit him, as he was walking um, from our vehicle, I heard someone said, hi, Chris. And I look, it was John Olerud's wife. John Olerud was a, fantastic first baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays and the, the, the Mariners. And, and he's, he's saying hi to my son. I said, Christopher, I used to pay to see those people and now they say hello to you. Up <laughs> a, 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 a rich neighborhood. You should see the size of those homes in Bellevue. But my friends, Jesus said a man's life does not consist of those possessions. Because behind closed doors, rich and poor ask the same question. Why am I here? What am I doing here? Is there something more than this? It doesn't matter who you are. Paul says, if I give my body to be burned... And give my goods to feed the poor and have not the love of God in me. I still ask questions. The philanthropist is not satisfied because he gives away what he has. Because a man's life is not in what he possesses. And so there's stipulation. In the wisdom of God he has so given us things. But he never gave us those. He never made in those things the capacity to satisfy 
the longing of the human heart. I sometimes, I'm reluctant in sharing this. I remember when I was a young boy in Central America, I became fascinated with baseball. Loved the game of baseball. Still do. And, and I started to play. But my goal for playing baseball was it was the ticket out of poverty. I love the game now because I love the game. But then I love the game because I thought, if I become good at this, and I'm thankful that I was rescued from that before, I even got a chance to find out. Not the way some of them are living today. I was talking to my grandson who's becoming fascinated with baseball as well. He loves the game. And um, um, nothing thrills me more from a physical point of view. And I asked him the other day, who's your favorite player? And he said, Alex Rodriguez. I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> Couldn't you choose somebody else? So we had a little bit of fun with that. But Grandpa, he's a good player. Oh, well, it's true. So there we have the distribution of possession. My friends, whoever you are this morning, whatever you have this morning, you don't have anything that God did not give to you. Abilities, looks, money, land, God has given it to you. But, but here's the problem. There's a deception in possession. Verses 3 to 6. Here's, here, here is what verse 1 tells us. If you notice that I left a word out when I was reading what God gives. He gives riches and wealth and what else? Honor. I left that out deliberately. Because you see, what did it say? That if you have riches and wealth... It brings you honor. And I was trying to, to put this together. How does this make sense? Do you know who uh, Dennis Rodman is? Do you think that his looks got him where he is? <laughs> None at all. You know who Rod the Dangerfield is? Do you think his looks got him? None at all. You know what got them there? Riches. Riches. And, and, and this is what, what the writer is saying. There, there is a sense in thinking that if I get rich, I will get honor. I will have a better self-esteem. I will think of myself and people will think of me more than I ought to think. That's the deception in riches. <laughs> Someone said, money isn't everything but it sure gives you a better choice of where you want to go. It's not everything, but when you got it, you can... You, <laughs> saying to someone the other day, boy, if I had money, I'd never buy a used car. I just, I just buy... Did you hear this past week? Justin Bieber? Bieber? Did you hear what happened to him this past week? It was quite a humorous thing. Here's a young man, and by the way, he's Canadian. I just want you to know that. (laughs) 
he, he was being followed by those people who love to take the pictures of celebrities. And he was driving his car 80 miles an hour in a 30 or 35 mile zone. And he got lost or something. So he called 911. Did you hear this? It was funny stuff. The lady at 911 says, what's your name? And he said, Justin. Justin what? Um, Justin Robinson. Johnson? I thought you said you didn't hear it. <laughs> I, I, I thought he said Robinson. Let's tell you how much I listen to those things. And, and he said, where are you? And he didn't know where he was. And then this is the part that I like. What kind of a car are you driving? He said, a Franklin. And the 911 lady said, what's a Franklin? <laughs> and he was trying to tell them, but what he was trying to do was to hide his identity so they wouldn't know who he was. You see, here it is. I always, I always chuckle at this. People give all their time to be recognized, to get honor, to get popular. Then they buy cars that have tinted windows. You can't see who is in it. There's a deception in it. We, we, we think that if, 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 if we are able to write the checks without any difficulties, that that is going to give us the kind of power the kind of ability to, 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 to go through life and do what we want because, because money is power. That's the deception. That's the deception. Brain power might be power. When we have money, we can do what we want. Look at what he says in verse 3. If a man fathers a hundred children... And live many years, however many they may be. When this was written, my friends, having children was to prove a man's masculinity. The more children you had, the more you prove that you are a man. This is where the identity was. And so the writer is saying, if a man can do this, if a man lives longer than Methuselah, what is the difference if all his life he lives yearning for something better but never getting it? What's the use? This is what he's looking at. The deception in it. If I had, name it, then I could cope with life. If I... And we can go on and on and on and on with that. There is a deception in materialism, in wealth. It isn't wrong in itself, but the way we receive it, we begin to distort what it is all about. And there is a pain in the possession of it. A pain. C.K. Chesterton said, Weariness does not come from pain, but from pleasure. Weariness does not come from pain, but from pleasure. And if you want to see how true that is, this morning... Stallone's son is dead. Here's a young man having a, a father who is known around the world. And while they're not saying it, it is obvious. He took his own life. Weariness does not come from pain. It comes from pleasure. 
I can tell you of people who have been sick. I mean, we know some of them. We know Stan. He doesn't think of ending his life. But a 36-year-old fellow can who has everything. This pain in possession. It, be it became a living burden. When Dean Sanders, who played for the Dallas Cowboys, and they won, I think, their last Super Bowl, he went to his room that night, looked at everything, closed the door, and asked the question, is this all? Is this all there is to it? When Lee Iacocca was asked about his power bringing Chrysler back from, from the grave, he made this statement, and I quote, being at the top is for the birds. There's pain in possession. You see, because we expect the possession to do for us what God alone can do. One of my favorite men is Dr. Howard Hendricks from Dallas Theological Seminary. And he tells the story of being invited to a very rich home in, in, in Texas. And Dr. Hendricks says, when I rang the doorbell and I opened, the door was open, was greeted by the wife of the man who invited him, Dr. Hendricks said, only he can tell it. He said, as I stepped into the door, I almost got lost in the rug. He said, I was almost suffering from mink rash. <laughs> and Dr. Hendricks said, I looked at her and I said, you have got a beautiful home. And as soon as he said that, her face just tightened and she said, I would give all of this to be happy. I would give all of this to be happy. There's pain. I, I, I took a little time. Listen to this. I plucked the chrysanthemum, the chrysanthemums, I gaze at the distant hills. The mountain air is fresh at the dawn of day. The flying birds two by two return. In these things there lies deep meaning. Yet when we would express in words, words fail. What folly to spend life like a dropped leaf snared under the dust of the street. For a long time, I have lived in a cage. That is, the cage was the possession that the writer had. For a long time, I've lived in a cage. Now, I have returned, <laughs> for everyone must return to fulfill one's nature. Did you get that? I looked, I saw, I enjoy, and it was painful, so I have returned to nature, hoping that by, uh, by, by gazing, I, I, was, I was reading 
the new spirituality where you touch your forehead, you touch your ears, you touch your chest, you touch your navel, and you just, you just breathe in until you can feel yourself, and then you'll just, I mean, can you imagine that? But this is, my friends, what intelligent people are doing. Why? Because somehow the possession has caused pain, it has deceived them, and they don't know where to turn, and they don't want to turn to the Bible. They don't want to go there. Some of you might be old enough to know who Robert Ingersoll was. He stood at his brother's, he's one of the great atheists of, of all times. He stood at his brother's grave. And, 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 and listen to what he said in a eulogy over his brother's casket. Happiness is to be happy now. The place to be happy is here. The way to be happy is to make others so. After all, said Ingersoll, life is a narrow veil between cold and barren peaks of two eternities. We strive in vain to break beyond the heights. We strive in vain to think beyond the heights. All life is is what I see now. All I see life is is what I know now. Even though there is something in me that says there has to be more, as Woody Allen says, but somehow I have not come to it, and that's because we have stopped, we have refused the hands that have given, but we have taken what the hands have given. That's where we are. So he came to a decision, verses 7 to 9, a decision. He says there's a limitation, there's a limitation to possession. A limitation to possession. In Proverbs, just a book back, 1626, reads this way. A worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger urges him on. Look, if you please, again, in verse 4. Perhaps at the end of verse 3. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they will be put, they will be, but his soul is not satisfied with the goods, the good things he, do, he does, not even to have a, prep, a proper burial. And then he goes on to say, Better is the miscarriage than for a man who has all these things and his life is just completely futile. What is the limitation? The limitation is that one cannot find satisfaction in possession. And again, I, I tell you, it's not only money and so on. Why, why can that not be? Because life is a search for the spiritual. Whether in the throes of pain or in the dis disappointment of pleasure, we strive for an essence that is beyond the physical. And when we try to live only for the physical, there is conflict. And so the writer said, it is better to have a miscarriage than to live that kind of a, of a life. It is, it is just a futile, frustrating life. Jesus tells us the same thing. Matthew 6, he says, don't strive for that which you eat today and gone tomorrow. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. 
He's not telling us to be careless of life, saying put it in right perspective. That's what he's doing. In Luke 9, 69, Jesus tells us to make friend of possessions, to use it in such a way that it goes beyond time so that when you use what God has given for the, the kingdom of God, when you die and you go to heaven, they will greet you there. There will be people who will say, you gave so that I heard the gospel. Make friends of it. Don't hoard it. This is what he's saying. He's given the rich, richly all things to enjoy. The limitations of possession, it is only good for this. Look at verse 8. The lessons that he has. Verse 8. Uh, verse 7, I'm sorry. All a man's labor is for his mouth. <laughs> and yet the appetite is not satisfied. Very interesting verse. Because the word for appetite there is the same Hebrew word from which we get the word for soul. For soul, the spirit, the depth of my being. And he says, I've learned a lesson. It seems to me that the only thing that, that, that labor and possession can do is to feed the body. There is nothing beyond that. The longing continues. There may be difficulties in life, but when it comes to the longing of the souls, says the writer, the man who has possession and the man who doesn't have possession if they're not rightly related to God, both of them have the same questions of life. Why do I have so much and I enjoy so little? Why is it that I have nothing at all and things only get worse for me? Both of them, they're going in the same, same place, aren't they? They're all going to the grave. And the text says, no, that's not the case. It's what you do with life what you do with Christ, what you do with the gospel, that will make the difference as to how possession, possessions are used. So there is the lesson. Lesson number one is, is, is that what we have only goes as far as now. Lesson number two. Humanity shares a common enigma. That's verse nine. Verse nine. What eyes See is better than what the soul desires. Interesting verse. What the eyes see. The poet says, the dim witness of the eyes distorts the soul from pole to pole when it gorges to see with and not through the eyes, says William Blake. What the eyes see. The eyes tell me that, that life is only now, here. But my soul says something else. I can satisfy the physical with what I see, what I gain. But it doesn't do anything for the soul. Is, is there any answer to this? Woody Allen says no. But I wouldn't want to end with what Woody Allen has to say. Mere materialism can often and in and of itself be pleasurable. But if that is all we have, 
Who we are is dissatisfied. Who we are continues to ask questions. Who we are looks at life and we say, life sucks. Because I thought that what I had could give me satisfaction. Humanity shares a common enigma. We live with a sense of the limitations. But our soul says there's something more. And when we ignore what the soul says, we try to find it in what the eye can see. And we don't know what to do. And this is why I think people in rich positions end, end it all. Because they don't see how it makes sense at all. Malcolm Muggridge, one of my favorite writers, gives this testimony. By the way, Muggridge became a believer in Christ through the witness of Mother Teresa. And Muggridge was so annoyed at Christianity. And he told Teresa this. And that little diminutive woman looked into the face of this brilliant, brilliant British journalist and said, Mr. Muggridge, you have your eyes in the wrong direction. You have your eyes in the wrong direction. What you need is to put your eyes upon Jesus. And those words, like a sword, penetrated Muggridge. And it didn't stop until Muggridge surrendered to Jesus Christ. He writes this, and I close with this. I may, I suppose, regard myself as a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough money to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the Internal Revenue Service. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of friendly diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heated for me to persuade myself that it represents a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. Yet, I say to you, I beg of you, please believe me, says Margaret, multiply these tiny triumphs by millions, add them up all together, and they are nothing, less than nothing, indeed a positive impediment measured against one drop of the living water Christ offers to those who are spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. Jesus burst into time and he said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Not by what I give to you, but in your relationship with me. And my friends, I dare say that there are Christians who ask the same kind of questions that Woody Allen asked, the same kind of struggles that the writer has, simply because we have taken our eyes off him and we have been impressed with who we are what we are, and what we have. I introduce you, I implore you this morning, take your eyes off it.
and them and place your eyes on him and hear his words. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Listen, and you shall find rest for your souls. That's the promise of Jesus. He comes not to take away what we have, but to make what we have a vehicle for eternity. Let us pray. Father, I don't know, well, I know that it has. I was going to say, I don't know if these words have meaning to the people here, but Lord, it, it must, because it is your word. And it is, it, is, it is presented, Father, not so much to give people things to think about, but to give people the opportunity to change their thinking because it is possible not to have but want to have what others have. And that could be anything. Help us to find our satisfaction in you this morning, to realize that you have called us, Lord, to a relationship, a relationship that makes earth, as the songwriter put it, heaven above a softer blue, earth around this sweeter green, Something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. May we see afresh this morning, not nature, but nature's God. In Jesus' name, amen.